Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, uh, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. First it was the Ontario Hockey League and then it wiped out the World Junior Championship. Now the Western Hockey League is suffering and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is shut down for at least a couple of weeks. Don't look now, but the buzzword to start 2022 is COVID protocol. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. My name is Guy Flaming and the calendar flips from one year to the next and uh, nothing has changed as uh, we are back dealing with covid with a vengeance, I guess if that was a movie, that would be the sequel. COVID, with a vengeance. Definitely rearing its ugly head, and we're dealing with it at every level of the sport right now. I mean, you're seeing at the NHL level, half the games, it seems like, are getting postponed. and It seems like teams are playing without four or five of their starters every night. I know I'm a Flyers fan, and they've got, it uh, seems like, seven or eight guys out of the lineup. It's happening in the American Hockey League, and uh, right now the WHL is uh, getting hammered. There's 10 games on the schedule tonight. They've all been postponed. Now, two of them postponed for non-COVID reasons because of uh, inclement weather in the Pacific Northwest. But overall, I put the question of the day on Twitter, and it reads like this. 20 of 23 WHL games this weekend have been postponed Nine of 19 games in the OHL that are that are scheduled for Friday and Saturday this weekend. They're postponed, 9 of 19. Uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, as I mentioned, they're not playing at least until the week of January 17th. I think the first games are slated for the 19th of January. The Maritime Hockey League, that's one of the uh, leagues in the Canadian Junior Hockey League, like the Alberta Junior Hockey League and the MJHL, the SHL, the OJHL. Did I say the SHL? I meant the SJHL. Uh, but it's the Junior A League in Canada in the Maritimes. Uh, they've decided not to play at all until the start of February. I know the college hockey schedule, they're getting it too. 13 college games this weekend postponed. A listener on Twitter asked me if the USHL is postponing games as well, and I hadn't heard anything, but I just went and looked, and it looked like Cedar Rapids had a couple of games last weekend where they were uh, postponed. I haven't seen anything in the North American Hockey League, but uh, you, you have to think that uh, every league is dealing with it in different ways, and that's kind of what led me to the question of the week. Mentioned the MHL, 
has decided to uh, pause until February. The queue paused uh, coming out of the Christmas break until at least January 17th. So that's the question. What should leagues do right now? The options they put out there, status quo. Just keep going as much as you can. Postpone when you have to. Play when you can. Uh, 50% of the vote right now is for status quo. Just under 40% is pause. That a lot of people looking at what the with the Q and the MHL are doing and saying, well, maybe everybody should just pause for a little bit. Nine percent of voters have said cancel the season, which surprises me. I don't think anybody wants to see that again. And the final option that I put out there was other and and tell me what. And uh, that right now, as I'm speaking with you, 1.5 percent have chosen that. But the only person who actually has replied with the, their explanation for choosing other is uh, Chris, who says they should just stop testing healthy athletes and let them play through this, which I don't think is the sound approach because it's not just the athletes themselves that are affected. If somebody on a team gets sick, it's not just the you know the 20 players on the ice or 23 players in the locker room. It's the coaches and it's the billet families. And this is a lot more than just the players that can be affected. So I don't think you should just... You know, pretend uh, that it's uh, just the athletes themselves at risk. And in fact, if even though it is the athletes and we're talking about young, healthy players, it really affects people in different ways. And you can't predict how that's going to be. Uh, one of my guests later on has a story he can relate to you. That'll be in the second segment today. Hey, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. That is Alberta's best beef jerky. It's absolutely delicious. We picked up uh, three pounds uh, right before Christmas. And if you haven't had a chance to get some yet, well, I encourage you. Uh, check out wilhockbeefjerky.com is their website. Get in contact with uh, the location in Leduc. And if you're in Western Canada, they'll ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, Wilhock Beef Jerky. W-I-L-H-A-U-K, WilhockBeefJerky.com. And we should be talking about the results of the World Junior Championship, but unfortunately that got scrapped just two or three days into the tournament, so there's really not a whole lot that we can talk about. Really unfortunate, and it looks like, uh, well, we know for the next couple of years, uh, next year it's scheduled to be in Russia, the year after will be in Sweden, then it's back in Canada in 2025. Sounds like... There's a bid already being put together uh, by a group in Halifax. I was intending to get a guest on from Halifax, or at least from the East Coast, uh, to talk about that this week, but uh, was not able to connect with that guest, uh, potentially have him on next week. But I guess this is, this is another question we could put out there uh, as a question of the week. Maybe I'll save it for next week, but here's a little scoop. Where in Canada would you like to see it next? past two years, it's been Red Deer slash Edmonton. Well, last year, basically just Edmonton in the bubble. And in the bubble, it worked. This year, they didn't bubble it up, and it obviously didn't work. And uh, there's a lot of people who want to hammer Hockey Canada. I, I don't honestly know who's it, who's at fault. If it's the IIHF, the organizing committee, whether they take direction from the IIHF. But hindsight being uh, 2020, of course they should have bubbled it and not had players staying in hotels with the general public. Really unfortunate, but, you know, in November, nobody was talking about Omicron. And a month later, Omicron is sweeping the nation, and not in a good way. Let's get to the WHL, and as I mentioned, the schedule uh, tonight, well, really in flux, uh, well, no games tonight. On Saturday, there are 10 games as well. 10 games tonight, all of them postponed. 10 games on Saturday, two of them will move forward. 
The Portland Winterhawks are in Kelowna and the Spokane Chiefs are in Seattle, but that's it. Everything else has been postponed. Quite honestly, a lot of that's happening in the Ontario Hockey League and the Q isn't playing at all. But what's big in the queue right now is the trade deadline just passed. And the the busiest team would be the St. John Sea Dogs. Of course, they're scheduled to host the 2022 Memorial Cup. And I say scheduled because, well, you know why. There's an asterisk on everything right now. But they were very busy. They picked up, uh, they made five trades just yesterday. Now, there was a, a, a pretty good rumor that they were going to pick up Elliot Denoyer from the Halifax Mooseheads. We saw him playing for Canada at the World Junior Championship. That actually didn't happen. So whether it was close and just fell through, or maybe it was just a bad rumor, I don't know. But uh, the St. John Sea Dogs do come away with uh, a number of players. I'm not going to go through the list. You can find that at the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's uh, website. And next week, uh, hopefully, if I get that guest on to talk about the uh, the Halifax World Junior bid, that guest will also be able to talk about the uh, trade deadline activity here in the queue. The Ontario Hockey League, there are a number of trades as well as the deadline rapidly approaches. I'm, it's usually January 10th, but this year in the WHL, I know they've pushed it back a little bit to the 17th, I believe. Uh, but I'm not sure if that's also the case in the OHL or if it's still the 10th in the OHL. But trades have started to come in in the OHL. It seems like, well, earlier this week, the OHL had a press release that said, you know what, we're, we're going to continue playing this year. There's some question because the OHL was the first league that started to have a, a lot of postponements and, and teams that had to suspend activities. But the provincial government there changed some of their uh, regulations and uh, the COVID protocols. So the Ontario Hockey League has decided that they're uh, dedicated to playing out this season. And I think that was almost a signal to uh, teams that it's worth making that run if you're going to try to uh, make a run for it this year. Nine trades just in the last uh, three or four days in the OHL. Meanwhile, in the WHL, only one trade in uh, since the calendar flipped to 2022. And I was, quite honestly, I was a little bit surprised by this one. The Calgary Hitmen uh, packaged up Adam Kidd in a fifth-round pick, sent him to Kelowna for Steel Queering, who's a six foot two and a forward with some size, and that fits what Calgary likes to do. Uh, but Adam Kidd was a pretty good player for the Hitmen, so I like that trade for Kelowna. I'm definitely less familiar with uh, Steve Steel Queering. And it was Calgary who had to add the uh, draft pick, so maybe they are getting the better player, but I like Adam Kidd. Uh, right before New Year, the Lethbridge Hurricanes made a couple of trades. They moved Trevor Thurston and a sixth-rounder to Prince Albert for a Tyson LaVenture and a Ross Stanley, former Edmonton Oil King. They also traded Noah Boyko, who really never seemed to reach his potential in Lethbridge. I don't know what it was, but there were high expectations for him. He's a former first-round pick. Uh, he goes to Saskatoon for Hayden Smith and a third rounder. There was also a three-way deal. You don't see that happen very often. Saskatoon, Prince George, and Medicine Hat all getting together. You can see all the details on that trade on the WHL's website under the transactions. But other than that, it's been kind of quiet in the WHL. And I have a theory on why that is, but so does my guest in segment, uh, my ge second guest segment uh, today. He's got a theory on that as well, so we'll wait to get into that with my guest. Uh, the Alberta Junior Hockey League, looking at the standings, the Brooks Bandits are just, they're blowing everybody away. They have a record of 36-1-1 one one this year. They've lost one game in regulation time 
all season long. They've played 38 games. Remarkable year uh, for the Brooks Bandits. And at the they've won 16 games in a row. And at the other side of the ledger, the Old Grizzlies have lost 15 games in a row. Maybe they can snap their skid this weekend. They're scheduled to play the Grand Prairie Storm. They are the two cellar-dweller teams in the respective uh, divisions. Grand Prairie in the north in last place, and Olds in last place in the south and in the entire league. That said, though, Grand Prairie has won 10 games. Olds has only won five. Top scorer in the USHL continues to be Stephen Halliday, but it's a close race. Jackson Blake from the Chicago Steel is just one point back, and those two have a bit of a cushion over the rest of the field. The top team in the USHL right now, the Tri-City Storm, who have a record of 25-1. and That's a 788 winning percentage. They lead the Western Conference, and the top team in the Eastern Conference is the Chicago Steel. They have a 741 winning percentage. Both of those clubs with a, a bit of a cushion when it comes to points as well. Dubuque is uh, the uh, closest team to Chicago. They're five points back, whereas Tri-City has a nine-point lead over both Omaha and Sioux City in the Western Conference. In the North American Hockey League, the top winning percentage overall is the Fairbanks Ice Dogs at uh, a 7-12. And they've played 33 games, so pretty impressive season here uh, for Fairbanks. Two other teams with a winning percentage over 700. That would be the New Jersey Titans and the Maryland Black Bears, both of those clubs in the East Division. And I can tell you that the leading scorer in the null right now is Kate Nielsen. He plays for the Aberdeen Wings, and you'll get to know him. Spoiler alert, he's on the show today. Lastly, a look at college hockey, and I mentioned a number of postponements. Mike McMahon at College Hockey News has a great write-up. It came out yesterday, and he outlined uh, or listed the uh, postponed games that were scheduled for this weekend, and there's been a couple of more added uh, since then. Mike's article also outlines a, a number of college players who look like they might be headed to the Olympics. Now that the NHL is not going, well, countries like Canada and the United States will be looking for players wherever they can get them from, and uh, you would expect the U.S. to look at the college ranks, and here's the players who have been reportedly invited, and a friend of the show, Chris Peters, doing the legwork on this, but defenseman Drew Hellison from Boston College, Brock Faber from Minnesota, and Jake Sanderson from North Dakota, as well as five forwards, Matty Beniers from Michigan, Matthew Nyes and Ben Myers from Minnesota, Noah Cates from Minnesota Duluth, and Nathan Smith from the Mavericks of Minnesota State appear to be on the radar for USA Hockey. Owen Power looks like he's been targeted by Hockey Canada. All guests of the Pipeline Show join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. And if you live in Alberta between Calgary and Edmonton, including St. Albert, Sherwood Park, Leduc, all the towns between the two uh, biggest cities in the province, all along Highway 2, you can get Free home delivery when you use promo code PIPELINE. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop. Place your order and make sure you use promo code PIPELINE. And that order will come to you free of charge. They've got some new ones once again. Some of the new seasonals. You got the Buzzword IPA, Made in the Shade Mango Pepper. Another called the Fork in the Road Pale Ale. And a dry hopped kettle sour called Hits Different. Find all of those at troubledmonk.com. Make sure you use promo code PIPELINE. Three guests on this week's episode of the program. 
As I mentioned, Kate Nielsen will lead things off. He's a forward with the Aberdeen Wings. Great backstory. This guy has been all over the hockey world. Holds three passports, and he's made good use of all three of them, put it that way. We'll get to know Cade Nilsson in the first guest segment. In segment two, Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun covers the Brandon Wheat Kings and does a fantastic job uh, looking at the entire Western Hockey League. We're going to focus on the Eastern Conference, though, as uh, there is no crossover between the East and West this year. So really, two separate leagues operating under the WHL uh, umbrella. But we're going to chat with Perry about uh, what he's seen from WHL clubs this year, dealing with the COVID situation, also what the trade deadline could look like. And we'll do the same, but in the OHL, with Terry Doyle. We go from Perry to Terry. But Terry is a a longtime broadcaster in the OHL. He's calling games for the Sarnia Sting on television out there. And he'll uh, bring us all up to speed on everything OHL-related. Before we kick off the show, I'm going to remind you about Pro Stock Hockey. It's your online source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment. Sticks, gloves, and all the rest. You can follow them on Twitter at Pro Stock Hockey. They also have an app. And just seeing on their Twitter feed that a new true Overstock player and goalie sticks have been added to their inventory. New sticks from players like Matthews and Hellebuck, even Dustin Bufflin. And more now available. So check them out at ProStockHockey.com. All right, let's get to it. Cade Nielsen ripping it up in the North American Hockey League. He joins me first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Got the puck now in the corner. He and Louis Rail do battle. A pair of number sixes toward the front now. A nice play. They score. What a pretty goal by Brendan Brisson. And it's 2-1 Michigan. Uh, this is Brendan Brisson from the Chicago Steel, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris wow, and Duncan Keith and future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Dance off, bro. Me and you. It's the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Two locations, Leduc and Spruce Grove, both of them here, obviously, right in Alberta. But if you live in Western Canada, you can uh, place your order with the folks in Leduc, and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada comes vacuum sealed, fresh on delivery, and absolutely delicious. It's WilhockBeefJerky.com. We're going to begin this week's episode with a uh, look at the North American Hockey League, and specifically in South Dakota, as the Aberdeen Wings, always a, uh, a powerhouse in the NAHL. Currently, right now, they have the leading scorer in all of the NAL. His name is Cade Nelson, and he joins me now. Cade, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? 
I am great. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you today, Cade. And uh, I mentioned you're having a terrific season, and not just leading your team in scoring, but the entire league in scoring. I have to think you're pretty happy with the way things have gone so far this season. Yeah, I'm loving it. Um, team's starting to get a lot of success lately, so that's the main thing. But uh, just having some really good line mates too, Ronan Walsh and Jacob Bossier. They're definitely helping me a little bit, so had some success there, which is always nice. And I mentioned the Aberdeen Wings right in the thick of it again in your division, sitting third right now, but just a stone's throw away from uh, the top two teams in the division. What is it about Aberdeen, that the consistency from year after year? You guys are always contenders. What is it? Yeah, um, I think it's just our culture, the way we get to the rink every day, the way how well coached we are, and just the bond we have. I think it's just a, it's a real honor to always put that jersey over. And I think we all just, we were playing for all the guys previous and past. It's just, it's a real honor to play here. So we don't take it for granted. And every time we go out there, we know what we're playing for. And we're just, it's more of a privilege to be here. You're on a two-game winning streak right now. I'm wondering how big of a difference there is in whether it's your execution in a game or, or whatnot. But the nights you win compared to the nights you're losing, I'd have to think the difference is probably pretty razor thin. I mean, the parity in your division is exceptional. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always thought since I've been here that our division is always one of the better ones in the league. And it's always just so tight. If you look at the standings now, anyone can beat anyone on any given night. So a lot of the time, it just depends on which team wants it more. And lately, I think we're starting to figure it out and come together as a group. And you're starting to see a little more success team-wise. So... I think we're figuring it out a little bit more now and excited to see what happens for the rest of the season. You talk about the the parity in your division. I mentioned a, a little bit ago about Minot and Austin. They're ahead of you, but really close in the standings. North Iowa is next and St. Cloud. Only Bismarck's really kind of out of it. They're they're well back sitting in the basement of the division. But every team outside of Bismarck, the goal differential is above zero except North Iowa, and they're only a negative one, so they're right in the middle of it as well. But you really can't afford to take a night off in your division. And it makes you bring your A game every night, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. But even Bismarck, um, they may be at the bottom, but we've experienced as well this year that if you take a night off against them, they'll make you pay. So you can't take anyone lightly for sure. And it's the games are a lot more fun this way. Always going to the rank, ready to ready to beat the opponent. opponent is always fun. And Cade, for yourself personally this year, it's year three in the null, and you're having a terrific season, as we mentioned. You're leading the league in scoring. But, uh, you know, last year you had a good year, 45 points in 55 games, and that's in difficult circumstances with COVID and all those types of things. This year you're blowing past the numbers you had last season. You got 16 goals already. That's a career high, 44 points in just 29 games. Are you a guy who sets statistical goals for yourself at the start of the season? I don't know what your expectations were coming into this year. Um, Not really, not a whole lot. I just, I kind of take it day by day, you know. I'm more focused on the team's success, like I said earlier, but obviously it's nice to be getting some point uh, point production. It's, it's always fun, but I'll just keep taking it day by day, see what happens, and hopefully it continues. You know, it's always fun getting points, but the most important thing is how our team's doing, and we're doing better now, so that's my main focus right now. How have you evolved as a player over the course of, uh, you know, this season being your third in Aberdeen, but, you know, coming into the league as a, what, 18-year-old? How have you changed as a player since that time? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's crazy. I just I still remember those days when I came in as a 18, 19 year old, and I was just looking up to all those guys. You know, I had some really great veteran players here my first year and even last year. So I've had a lot of good guys to look up to, and I actually played a year junior in Canada before I came here. So I've been really blessed. Just uh, throughout my whole life, I've had a lot of good role models that have kind of show me how to conduct myself and how to be around the rink. So I think I have to contribute a lot of that success to all those people that have helped me when I was younger. And now as a 20 year old, I'm just trying to kind of give what I've learned back to some of our younger guys, some of our rookies and just trying to be the best person I can be right now. Cade Nelson is my guest. He's a forward with the Aberdeen wings in the North American hockey league. And uh, Cade, I mentioned this to you before we started recording that I wanted to get some background on you because depending on website I look at, you're either from Lafayette, Louisiana, or you're from Nottingham, England. So please set the record straight. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Okay, I was, (laughs) I'm a rat. I was born in Louisiana, Lafayette. Uh, My dad used to play professional hockey, so we kind of just followed him wherever he went around. So I grew up in every team. I was there, Pensacola. I spent some time in Ontario, but my mom is from Scotland, and I think she wanted to be closer to home, so that led to our move over to Nottingham, England, where I've called home for the last 10, 15 years. And, yeah, when I tell people I'm definitely a Brit, I've been there, that's my home, that's the way I see it, but I I am lucky and privileged to have a couple extra passports in my bank. And you've had the opportunity to play internationally for Great Britain in the U18 and the U20s a couple of years in the U20s. So moving forward, you'd be playing as a Brit too. Yeah, I'd hope so. I mean, the goal is to always make the the men's team in a couple of years or whatever time it takes. But that's that's my goal. I I think it's always a real honor to be able to represent your country. And that that is definitely a future goal of mine. All right. So born in the States, but moved to England. Uh, How old were you when you first moved uh, overseas? Oh, uh, I think five years old, five or six. I'm not 100% on that, but a lot of my hockey was done in England and there are a lot of great coaches that helped me there too. I didn't know whether to expect a a British accent or not. Uh, Why is there like not even a hint of an accent? (laughs) No, I just, I never picked it up. I know it's really disappointing. A lot of people are disappointed when I when I talk to them for the first time, they a lot of them expect some Austin Powers accent, but unfortunately I don't have that. How did you first get into hockey overseas? You mentioned that your dad was a player, so I'm guessing it was sort of just natural progression for you to get involved as well. Yeah, it was just ever since I can remember, my dad was just like always on the ice with me as even a baby. I I can't remember. I must have been two years old when I went on the ice for the first time and when I when we went over to England is when I started really remembering all my hockey experiences, like just getting to watch him play was always an amazing thing for me. And I just fell in love with the game right away. So I was on the ice as, as much as I could. You're a forward now. Have you always been a forward or maybe when you were younger, did you try other positions uh, on the way up? Well, I think every hockey player at one point wanted to be a goalie, but my dad shut that. <laughs> he shut that idea down pretty quick. And I, I kind of figured that I like scoring goals more than I like getting scored on. And you got to be pretty mentally strong to be a goalie. And that's just, doesn't look like my forte. So I've always been a forward. Probably used to be a little more of a goal scorer when I was younger, but still trying here and there now. Well, safe to say forward is the right choice for you. It seems to be working out pretty well. I know when I talk to other players, especially guys here in uh, in North America, maybe when they're you know seven or eight playing novice or something, they might not have a full-time goaltender on the team, so all the players 
sort of have to take their turn uh, in net. I wonder, did you have an experience like that over in England? No, I wish I did. Um, in England, it was pretty standard. You just kind of chose what you chose and kind of stuck with it. But I got to I got to do goalie session practice one time, which was fun. But never after that. I've I've always been a forward. Now you played over there until uh, what age? Were you about uh, fourteen, fifteen, something like that? Yeah, fourteen. I finished. I played in the Nottingham system for a long time, and then I went to a hockey school in England. It was called the Okanagan Hockey Academy. And then at fourteen, I moved over to Canada, where I spent three years. In the at the Ontario Hockey Academy. Yeah, and I, I wonder what the connection was there to not just to come to North America, but to end up in Ontario at, and playing at the Ontario Hockey Academy. How did that happen? I don't know. I think English hockey is, I definitely think it's a lot better than what it may uh, be perceived over here. But I think that it was time that I, I wanted to start looking at colleges and even major junior. I didn't really know what I wanted at that time, but I figured the best place for me for people to see me would to be over in North America. So my dad, my mom, they both told me that I had a chance to go. So I go to the Ontario hockey Academy and I just jumped for it right away. I was really excited and had three good years there and the rest is history right now. Yeah. And then you play that year in junior that you were talking about, uh, but you're playing in the Maritimes, the Yarmouth Mariners uh, in Nova Scotia, how did that come together for you? And, you know, you go from Ontario. How did you end up in Nova Scotia? It's actually funny. So uh, my coach at Okanagan in England, he was uh, he's from Yarmouth. He was a Nova Scotia guy and came over to England for a year. So he saw me a couple of years later, and I guess he just always kept an eye out for me. And he gave me a good opportunity, opportunity in Yarmouth, and I jumped at it right away. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot of really good life lessons there and learned some hockey stuff too. That's fantastic. Uh, and then to end up in the North American Hockey League in Aberdeen, I mean, it's South Dakota. There's no, geographically, it doesn't seem like there'd be, you know, a, a direct path to go uh, from Nova Scotia. So how did that come together for you? Uh, it, was, it was a recruiting thing. I This funny story, I actually tried out the year before, the year I went into Yarmouth, I tried out for Aberdeen. I went to one of the main camps and I ended up getting cut and made it to the last round in main camp, got cut. And they just said they wanted me to have a year of junior experience to develop. So I did that. And then funnily enough, I thought they forgot about me and they called me and I, I just jumped at it right away. As I knew it was somewhere I wanted to be. And they had success the year prior, obviously winning the Robertson Cup. And I wanted to do that here. So I was really excited at the opportunity to come here and be a wing. And in amongst all that, you had the opportunity to play for Great Britain three times, once at the U18, twice at the U20. I wonder what that opportunity meant to you. Uh, I know most people will talk about, you know, national pride and things like that. I'm guessing there's also, uh, to some degree, a level of showcasing your ability, trying to get some some attention, some scouting attention. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, the main thing is is the national pride, like you just said. But it's nice to go back and to see all the guys that I've like I played with when I was younger, and a lot of them I call my best friends. So. It's also nice to see them and see how they've all developed and how I've developed. And we're all little competitive groups, so trying to outdo each other here and there. But it's just really nice to go back, play for your country is always an amazing feeling and a great honor. So that's the main thing. Try and win some silverware, silverware for your country, sorry. 
And then after the NAHL starting next season, you'll be moving up to Division I hockey. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised the guy who's from Louisiana but moved to England and then came to Ontario, out to Nova Scotia, down to South Dakota. Why not check off all the boxes? You're heading up to Alaska to join the Nanooks of uh, Fairbanks. Uh, why was uh, joining the Alaska Fairbanks Nanooks uh, the right program for you? Uh, I just think it was the way they spoke to me, they made me feel really, really good about myself, really welcome and a part of the family right from the get-go. I mean, Coach Largan was, he seemed pretty happy to talk to me. And when I got that offer, I knew that was a really good spot for me. I know the schooling will do really well for me. So I, I was just really excited. I'm really excited to go there. It's definitely a cool place to go and visit. So to be able to say I've lived there for a while when I'm older will also be a really cool thing tell my kids there's been some question about the long-term stability of the program not just the nanooks but the uh, anchorage seawolves as well i know they shut down and now they're coming back again in time for next year but was that uh, at all a concern for you um not really no uh every time i've spoke to the coaches coaching staff they've always ensured me that that there is definitely stability so i'm not worried i'm just gonna I'm going to trust them. I feel like they know what they're talking about. They wouldn't lie to me. They seem like they're pretty straight shooter, honest people. So I'm, I'm just going to believe them, and I'm I'm really looking forward to going there. Well, for Nanix fans, so what sort of a player should you expe- be expecting uh, when you get there, Cade? Uh, I mean, we can look at the stats, and I mentioned it again, 16 goals, 44 points this season in just 29 games. But maybe the stats don't tell the whole story. So how do you describe yourself as a player, Cade? Um, I'd say I'm a, just a pretty hardworking guy. I'm Definitely a locker room guy as well, but a little bit of a goofball. But you know, I just I'm a, I'm a hardworking guy. I take my defensive role really seriously, and you know, I'm I like to think of myself as maybe a little bit of a playmaker, not so much of a goal scorer, but maybe I'll do that from time to time. But you know, I'm just a really hardworking guy. You got 16 goals in 29 games. How do you not consider yourself a goal scorer? Uh, this is the first year this has ever happened. I'm still getting used to it. <laughs> is that something that you, you've been working on? Is it sort of a mental thing? I mean, your instinct initially is to, to pass the puck, but you know, obviously you can score. So do you find that your coaches are telling you to shoot more? Do you like have to make that mental flip of the switch to be bit, a bit more selfish and, and shoot the puck, trust your shot a little bit more than you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, ever since I can remember, I've been getting told by my coaches that I still need to shoot more and shoot more. And this year, I guess I'm finally listening to them, to all those coaches. I'm doing a little more and <laughs> it looks like they're all right. But if anything, I probably should still be shooting more, I think, but I'll always be a pass first guy. But as long as I keep shooting, I hope good things will keep happening for me. The sheet I'm looking at says you're six foot and a hundred, about 195 ish pounds. Uh, how up to, uh, how up-to-date is that? I'd say that's pretty reasonable. Maybe lost a couple pounds. Now, you've got a younger brother who's not a little brother. He's uh, much bigger. He's six foot five and what, about 200-ish pounds. He's also playing in North America, but, man, he's he's on the East yeah, Coast. Yeah. He's playing in Colorado. You guys, this just runs in the family. Oh, yeah. We just love seeing the world. I mean, new people. But, yeah, he's he's awesome. He's, uh, yeah, he's six five, however, however much he weighs, but... He's just a, he's a great kid, loves the game so much. He's in Colorado with the T-Birds right now, and I think he's doing pretty well there and looking for junior next year, which I'm sure he'll get. He's, he's a really, he's a big hockey nerd, big, big hockey nerd, just loves the game. So 
he'll end up somewhere great next year. I know it, and so does he. So he's just keeping his head down and working his best. I noticed he played in the U-20s for Great Britain this year, had eight points, and that was your career high, uh, eight points in that tournament as well, except he's doing it as an 18-year-old. So he's kind of got bragging rights on you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's really good. He's uh, He seems to be dominating, especially with his size. He's starting to become accustomed to it, starting to use it to his advantage a little bit more. But he's definitely, if someone watches us practice together, you can definitely tell that he's a skilled guy out of both of us. Nice. Well, Kate, listen, I enjoyed this conversation a lot. I wish you the best of luck uh, the rest of the way this year with Aberdeen and uh, next season when you're up with the Nanooks uh, up in Alaska. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to chat again uh, while you're with the program up there. Thanks for doing this, man. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. All right, there's Cade Nielsen from the Aberdeen Wings out of the North American Hockey League on his way up to Alaska next year to play for the uh, Nanox. And, uh, man, I, I thought that was a fun conversation. Talk about world traveler. Holy cow, can you imagine? That's quite the path to success that he's had, uh, taking him through uh, three different countries and into some not what you would consider the hotbed of hockey uh, areas like Lafayette, Louisiana, and then over to England. And we're seeing more and more players coming out of England. And maybe Cade Nielsen is another one of those, and we'll look for his uh, younger brother. That would be big Logan Nielsen, who is playing in uh, Colorado right now, 18 years old. I don't know if any CHL team has uh, listed him. I don't know if you'd actually – I mean, he's he's got three passports, so would you have to take a guy like that in the, the import draft? He's been playing in North America for a long time, since 2017. So I'm thinking you probably don't have to, but which league would he be – property of the ohl i'm guessing i don't know interesting but might be a moot point maybe he's trying to go with the collegiate route uh, just like his older brother cade you know what i should have asked uh, cade afterwards was you know the connection to aberdeen maybe it's because his mom's from scotland and there's aberdeen in scotland whatever the case uh, he's having a heck of a season and i'll follow his uh, progress and look at his uh, college career uh, as we move forward from here all right next up uh, looks like I'm going to be speaking with uh, Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun as the WHL trade deadline gets closer. We'll get his take on what the Eastern Conference has looked like uh, as uh, the teams have rolled through Brandon. And how about those Wheat Kings are starting to uh, look like themselves now after a really tough start to the season under some trying circumstances. But speaking of trying circumstances, how about the WHL as a whole? Games getting uh, postponed, some teams being uh, put on the shelf for a while. We'll touch base with Perry and get his take on it all. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Broken up and then taken by Prop. Threw into the zone. He's on a breakaway. Look out. Short-handed. Three short-handed goals and a hat trick for Brian Prop. Holy cow. Welcome to Flyers Hockey on this Sunday. Hi, this is Brian Prop, former Brandon Wheat King. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. Hey, it's one of my personal favorites, but tell the people about it. The Vacation Mexican Lager. When the chores are done, the lawn is mowed or the sidewalk shoveled. This Mexican lager is perfect for floating on fresh powder or floating down the river. Vacation lager is a little getaway every day. Player comparable, Sidney Crosby can do it all and is always in the conversation of the very best. 
Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. All right, we're back on The Pipeline Show, and uh, we're going to talk about the WHL in this segment. Of course, the program brought to you by our title sponsor, that is Wilhawk Beef Jerky, Alberta's best beef jerky, available throughout Western Canada, but you got to order it from the location in Leduc. It comes to you vacuum-sealed, fresh, ready to go. As soon as you open that bag, man, it's going to... The aroma is just going to tickle your nose and your mouth is going to start watering. Best beef jerky known to man at WilhawkBeefJerky.com. My guest today is, uh, well, I'm not sure how busy you are these days, uh, Perry. Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun is my guest, but uh, not feeling so well this week, Perry. I don't know if I have COVID or the worst flu ever, but I've been in isolation in my bedroom for the last week. But anyone who knows me knows that I've had a story in every day's paper anyway. Um, I could still work from my bedroom, I figure. I can use the phone. <laughs> You're a workhorse. That's incredible, the, the amount of work that you put out. Uh, it doesn't even matter if it's the off-season. Some of your best stuff, your biggest stuff, happens in the summer months too, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I've, you know, I've been lucky that I've had the opportunity to do some big projects. This summer, I look back at the 78-79 Wheat Kings team, yeah. of course, that you know had 125 points talked to 16 of those guys it was just fantastic it was a fun project i like the big stuff all right well we don't know 100 percent that you, you've got the covid but you're uh, isolating and it wouldn't be a shocker i mean you look around the rest of the league and i've lost count how many games have been postponed how many teams have just been temporarily put on hold and suspended activity it, it seems like it's really escalated i mean we we kind of went through it back in the, the spring of 2020 when everything got canceled but it feels more like it's 2020 than what we saw in 2021 when everybody bubbled up and it was it went pretty smoothly. But this year, it's a different beast. Absolutely, it is. It's just kind of in and out of teams. And I spoke to Weekings coach uh, Don McGilvery today, and he said, look, it's everywhere. You know, games are getting canceled. Teams are getting infected. We're going to have to deal with it at some point. So I think there's an understanding and a realization that, you know, even with the best measures that you can put in place, this thing is so infectious that probably somebody is going to get it. And I'll tell you what, I think with the trade deadline right around the corner here, mm-hmm. that's going to have an impact. I can't imagine it doesn't. All right. Well, we'll get to the trade deadline stuff in a second. I, I wanted to ask you, I, listen, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know the long-term ramifications, although you hear lots of horror stories. I know the Edmonton Oilers have a couple of players who now have uh, myocarditis with the uh, uh, heart issues now because of COVID that they've gone through. But a lot of people out there would say, listen, these these are kids. They're highly trained athletes uh, at you know in peak physical condition. They're going to be fine. What do you think? Is that is that true? Or, I mean, is this something that we need to be concerned with for their long-term uh, care? And, I mean, you've probably talked to some players who have had COVID and, and what it was like for them. I've spoken to a few guys. And, you know, it's interesting with all of us. You don't know if you're going to be the one that ends up in the hospital or if it's going to be a cold. Right. For instance, Ridley Gregg, a year ago, goes to Canada's World Junior Camp after having COVID. He's been, like, it knocked him down and out. And he gets back on the ice pretty much just before he goes to that camp. And he told me later that he felt like he was breathing through a straw. Hmm. Now, this is not, you know, 
a 50 year old guy sitting on his couch with 30 or 40 more pounds than he used to pack on. This is an 18 year old with 5% body fat, probably, you know, in the top percentile of conditioned people in this country. And he got hit hard. You have to wonder if that same, you know, bout of COVID had hit somebody older, what would happen? It's scary. Um, so whatever precautions need to be taken, I think need to be taken. Uh, and we see right now, I think it's Moose Jaw and the Edmonton Oil Kings are on the shelf. Uh, a couple other teams as well. I, I think Portland is suspended right now. Swift Current's got games that have been canceled. I know Prince George and Victoria, I believe, were supposed to play. It's happening all over the place and not just in the WHL, but across the country and south of the border, too. Uh, let's talk about this Brandon Wheat Kings team, though, as uh, they got off to a slow start because of, I mean, they were really shorthanded. And, uh, but it seems like they've, they've started to put it together here. They're up into sixth place, and with the parity in the Eastern Conference, they're not that far out of home ice advantage here in the first round. What's gone right for Brandon here in the last month or two? Well, I think the biggest thing that's gone right is you start to get all these guys back. They had 12 different guys get hurt and miss time either uh, with injury or suspension. There was one guy that missed a few games because of suspension too. And it's not like it was the fourth liners getting hurt. Yeah. It was the first and second line guys, top pairing guys that were out over and over again. And, you know, if you're missing someone like, you know, the aforementioned Ridley Gregg, that's going to hurt you. It is really going to hurt you. Um, when they started to get guys back, then you, you saw the inevitable kind of trickle through the lineup. If Redley Gregg's out, somebody has to step into that role and maybe they're not ready for those minutes or those responsibilities. As soon as Ridley Gregg comes back, that pushes everybody sort of back into their place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they, they kind of find that spot they're meant to be in. Right. And I think that's what's happened. Now I would caution people who are planning the parade in Brandon after they beat Winnipeg and they beat Edmonton once. Both those teams were missing guys due to the world juniors. Now, granted, Ridley Gregg was away for that too, but Edmonton missing six guys, like that's a diminished team at that point. Uh, it's the only player that's out right now for Brandon Jake Chason, and what's the situation with him? Well, uh, Edmonton folks might know what happened to him. He went to Oilers camp and uh, hurt one of his shoulders and had to have surgery. Mm. So I don't expect that we're going to see Jake back, boy, oh boy, probably mid-March, maybe at the earliest. Wow. It's too bad. He's going into his 18 year old season. He made huge strides last year as a 17 year old on the top line with Ridley Gregg and Ben McCartney. Uh, I think they were expecting a lot out of him, like maybe on their top line. So to lose a guy like that, that was just sort of what their first month looked like. Yeah. Uh, I know goaltending was uh, a little bit questionable at the start of the year. And again, probably because of just how short staffed the, the, the weekings were, but, it seemed like Ethan Kruger was, it took him a little while to find his gear. Is that uh, fair to say or not? I think Ethan would tell you that, but Ethan also missed time twice on plays that ended up in goaltender interference calls. He was injured two times. Hmm. The other interesting story is that uh, Carson Bjarnson made the team this year as yep. a 16 year old goalie. In a lot of markets, okay, he's a 16 year old goalie, fine. The last 16 year old goalie in Brandon was in 1990, uh, Byron Penstock. Uh, when Kelly McCrimmon, you know, owned the organization, he was a firm believer that 16-year-old goalies needed to play and they needed to play a lot. Um, so he would rather trade for an older backup and keep his 16-year-old his prospect hmm. 
playing in, at the U18 level. So Carson Bjornsson, though, made it an impossible decision for them because he was their best goalie in the entire camp, and I'm probably including Ethan in that. He was terrific. Um, it's just that he got some of those early starts when Brandon was riddled with injuries, had APs just to fill their lineup, and got lit up a little bit. But, you know, he's a, he's a real good kid. He's a confident young man. I'm sure that when he gets more starts later on that, uh, that you'll see what uh, Brandon saw in him in camp. Well, and you mentioned that when some of the uh, the bigger name guys are out of the lineup, somebody else has to play maybe over their head a little bit. But that also reveals some some quality and some talent uh, that maybe we didn't expect so early. Are there two or three guys that come to mind in that regard, young players who were able to take advantage of uh, the opportunity given to them earlier this year? Absolutely. And, you know, Brandon's brass will tell you that that's going, going to be the long-term impact of this, that all these guys are going to be able to build on what they learned early on with their extra minutes. You know, Quinn Manti was their first rounder in 2020, a uh, young defenseman out of Saskatchewan, really smooth young player. He was actually at the uh, U-17s. Um, he has had, well, he had top pairing minutes there for, for quite a while when they were really banged up early on, you know, which is remarkable for a 16-year-old defenseman in the league because you just don't see a lot of 16-year-olds getting huge minutes on the blue line. You know, another one was uh, Trey Johnson, who is another 16-year-old out of Saskatchewan, uh, just kind of a gritty forward. He's kind of settled back in on the fourth line. He's an energy guy right now, but you can see where he's kind of irritating to the opponents. And I, I think he's going to put some goals in the net later on. It's guys like that that really benefit, but you take some L's in the standings, um, you know, while they get the, those extra minutes. Yeah. Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun is my guest for uh, looking at the WHL, specifically the Eastern Conference, because there's no crossover this year. So, really kind of two separate leagues uh, under one umbrella. When you've watched the uh, the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference roll through Brandon, who stands out uh, amongst the, uh, the, the high-end uh, clubs? Uh, Winnipeg and Edmonton obviously are at the top of the standings and Red Deer not far behind them. Are they Have they separated themselves from the rest of the group, in your opinion? Yeah, for sure. Those three are at the, the top, and then there's kind of the four or five teams in the middle, yeah. and then there's some at the bottom. To me, Edmonton is probably the class of the conference. You know, I saw them without six players and thought they were terrific. Uh, Jalen Lupin, for instance, was a revelation to me. I just had no idea how good he was. Love his game. You know, they have so much talent up front. And, uh, you know, they, they picked up the two best available defensemen in Prokop and Gooley. Uh, great goaltending. They can skate with you. They can beat you up. Um I'm not even sure what they would acquire at the trade deadline. Um, Winnipeg is a little more of a team that likes to be in a track meet with you, mm -hmm. but boy, it's sure hard to dispute the scoring they have up front, isn't it? You know, with Savoy and Geeky and McLennan and Smallwood, Mikey Milton's got 23 goals. Yeah. You know, I, I knew he was a good player, but I didn't know he was going to be on a 50 goal pace this year. Um, you have good goaltending. Um, they, though, I think Edmonton has been able to maybe knock them around a little bit, and you've seen that with Prince Albert and teams like that. That's where I wonder if that's sort of their Achilles heel, that uh, 
they want to skate with teams. Um, Red Deer to me is kind of the puzzle for me because honestly, yeah, I thought it was going to be next year for right. them. Right. Um, but you know, they're big, they're well coached, they work hard. I don't think they're as skilled up front as the other two teams and maybe a bit younger in terms of their, you know, where you can see their future. I really like their O3s and their O4s, but at the same time, they have eight 19 year olds and three overagers. So who knows? To me, if they added an elite goal scorer or two, that would really uh, take them a long way. Well, and that takes us to the trade deadline. And, you know, if it was a normal year, you'd kind of look and see, all right, who's who's out of it at this point. And really, only Medicine Hat seems to be that club this year. They've already traded Lucas Fakoski off, so they still have Garen Bjorklund if they can find somebody who has uh, room for him. Uh, but outside of that, I'm thinking because of, you know, all these teams ownership-wise, they've really taken it on the chin here in the last year or two. No playoff revenue for any of these clubs. Last year, nobody was able to sell tickets. So I can really see how these teams don't want to give up on the playoffs at this point. Even if you only get a round, that's bonus money into your coffers. Do you think this is going to be an active trade deadline, or do you think because of that, teams aren't, aren't going to be wanting to pull the shoot too early? Well, let me put it to you this way. 2020 trade deadline, uh, Winnipeg GM Matt Cockle, who's done an absolutely terrific job of rebuilding the ice. Remember, he made that deal with Red Deer, where he sent them four second rounders, a couple other picks for Dawson Barteau, mm -hmm. who's a kid from this area. Barteau was fantastic for them for two months. And then the season ends in mid-March. Right. Uh, you know, you, you wonder if a deal like that gets made with the benefit of hindsight. And that's the problem this year. You know, with so much uncertainty, hockey guys aren't huge fans of uncertainty. I get, well, I guess none of us are. Yeah. But there's no guarantee that this season ever finishes. And that's mm -hmm. got to be scary. Um, my friend Mike Sawatsky, who works the Free Press, talked to uh, Tri-City GM Bob Torrey. And he said the trade talks right now were pretty quiet. Yeah. But at the same time, you also see that three-team 11-asset trade coming down the pike after Christmas with Saskatoon, PG, and Mad Hat. Mm -hmm. And I sure didn't see that one coming. So I guess here's what I'm watching for at the deadline. How many deals have all kinds of conditional picks attached? <laughs> and those would probably be based on the season and playoffs being completed. Um, I'm expecting it to be quieter, but this league has surprised me before. Yeah, that's a great point. There could be a lot of conditional picks. It's a second round pick, but if there's no playoffs, then it's a, it ends up being a third round pick kind of thing. Um, yeah, I could I could see that playing out. Uh, is there a team that you think uh, is destined to make uh, uh, some more moves here if they can before the deadline on the 17th? I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe if Winnipeg picked up a defenseman. Um, you know, the guys that I think are going to get dealt, if you want a goalie, hard to beat Isaac Poulter and Swift if they want to trade them. Um, forward uh, Cars or Corson Hoppo is still available in Med Hat. Mm -hmm. um, as you mentioned earlier, Darren Bork, Bjorklund's good defense or good goalie, uh, and he's no two. Um, Logan Barlogi is another guy. Doesn't it seem like he's been in the league since about 2011? <laughs> no kidding, doesn't it? But again, like Lethbridge is only two points out of a playoff spot. Well, I guess four points out of a playoff spot, but they've got four or five games in hand because they they were sitting out. So I I, I don't know. Do they? Although they they already moved Alex Cotton, right? And if if you're going for it, 
that's not a move that you would make. So maybe they are ready to uh, to make some deals. Right, and they've also traded Trevor Thurston and Noah Boyko. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you don't often trade your best defenseman and then pick up. Uh, remember, in 2018, Brandon, I think, was in third place overall in the league, and right. that's when the trade market went crazy, and you had a quarter of the kids in the league traded, and they ended up making the new rules. That was your Swift Current one. Yeah. So Grant Armstrong was Brandon's GM at the time, and I believe he tried to make some deals. Prices went crazy, and finally he just threw up his hands and went, well, everybody around us has gotten a pile better. We're not a team of destiny. They trade Kale Clegg, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they trade Tanner Kaspik and get the four first-round picks and, what is it, four players and a second-round pick, too. So they made out like bandits that year because they read the market correctly. And, you know, they just used two of those picks here in the most recent draft. So sometimes it's not predictable, you know, who is going to be in and who's going to be out because yeah. you're also looking at your roster. Like general managers are working in a three-dimensional space. They can't just worry about next week. They got to worry about next season and the season after too. So they're building, you know, in a three-dimensional way all the time. So who knows? Who knows? Well, then you, you, after those top three teams in the Eastern Conference, you got that uh, that group: uh, Moose Jaw, Saskatoon, Brandon, Calgary, Swift, Regina, and P- PA. Not that far out of it either. Just a couple of points back of Swift Current. Uh, is there a team in there that you think is sort of just lying in the weeds uh, and is about to have a, a terrific second half? And maybe it's maybe that is the Brandon Wheat Kings uh, because they, I think everybody expected they would be better than where they're sitting right now and not knowing what the circumstances were going to be at the start of the season. But is there another team other than Brandon, maybe that you think is uh, uh, bound to have a, a strong push in the second half? You know, it's funny that uh, everybody always tells me the guys that come to town, you know, broadcasters and that go that Brandon team is going to be up around Winnipeg and Edmonton. And I watch them so much mm-hmm. that sometimes you, you kind of see the faults more than you see you know, the good things. Sure. And I always just kind of shake my head and go, I just don't see it. I okay. just, I don't. Um, Swift Current, or Swift Current, Saskatoon, sorry, has got some real high-end talent, including a kid I know really well in Tristan Robbins. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if they have enough scoring anymore like they used to. Uh, Moose Jaw, you know, Damon Hunt got hurt at uh, Canada's World Junior Camp, and I haven't talked to him yet. He's a Brandon kid. But I've heard that it, it might not be a great injury for him and it might be out for a while. Mm. So does that take Moose Jaw out of the bidding if their captain is going to be missing any length of time? Um, I, I honestly don't know who moves up this year. All right. Well, it makes it for an interesting uh, stretch drive, though, with that many teams all kind of uh, locked together here. Just, what, 10 points separating fourth from uh, 11th in the Eastern Conference. Uh, what do you got uh, coming up in the Brandon Sun now, Perry? Well, I have Charlie Alec, uh, Brandon's first round pick in the most recent draft has been here all week. So I didn't get to go to the rink to see him, but mm-hmm. I talked to him today. And then uh, the Gutenberg brothers, Tyler and Connor, Connor, of course, the former Wheat Kings captain, are playing at uh, the University of Calgary together. They had never played hockey together because there's three years between them okay so i got a story on them going in saturday's book so always some fun stuff 
always got to be thinking ahead. Well, that'll be great. Uh, all right. Well, Perry, as always, man, terrific to, to catch up once again. I hope you start feeling better. And uh, uh, knock on wood, we, we maybe we even get to cross paths in a rink this year. That'd be great. <laughs> it was nice seeing you. That's a couple of years ago now. It, it in, is. Uh, Brandon. It, that, I, that was right before the lockdown. Uh, I think that was in early March or late February of, of 2020. Is that right? Time flies, doesn't it? No kidding. Thanks for doing this, man. That's awesome. Thanks, man. That is uh, Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun. Does a terrific job covering not just the Brandon Wheat Kings, but the entire Western Hockey League. I don't know anybody. There's a lot of good media covering the WHL, but uh, none better uh, than Perry Bergson. Always a great guest. And uh, his stuff, if you can get a hold of it at the Brandon Sun, it's uh, well worth the read. I always love it when Perry's able to come on the show. Now, we talked about uh, the stoppages that have uh, started to pile up here in the Western Hockey League due to COVID. Well, it started earlier in the Ontario Hockey League and is still continuing on. But the league this week, well, they made the announcement that they are dedicated to continuing on this year. To talk about that and uh, everything else OHL related, Terry Doyle, broadcast legend from the Ontario Hockey League. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is Drew Doughty of the Guelph Storm. Storm on the power play here. Teed up by Doughty, scores! Hat-trick goal for Drew Doughty, 4-0 Guelph Storm. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Time Alberta Junior Hockey League champions, the Spruce Grove Saints, are back and welcoming fans to the Grant Fuhrer Arena for the 2021-22 season. A community-minded Junior A hockey organization offering affordable family entertainment. Tickets to big league hockey at affordable family rates range from $9 to $15 with free parking and some of the best food and drink specials in town. For more information on tickets and how you can become a partner, go to sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Fights like an old lady. Final segment of this week's episode is uh, going to be OHL uh, heavy, and uh, of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey, the best beef turkey in Alberta. Uh, but we're focused on the Ontario Hockey League this week. It's been a while since we uh, talked a little OHL, uh, so it's great to have Terry Doyle back, a longtime broadcaster, calling the uh, games on TV for the Sarnia Sting. And uh, I got face for radio, Terry, but you got the makeup, so uh, you're good to go for TV. How are things? I guess so. It's certainly been uh, busy times around here. Not necessarily many games to call in the last few weeks, but uh, certainly, yeah, indeed, it's uh, lots of uh, things happening around these parts. I, I guess that's where we have to start, isn't it? And unfortunately, that's the case. But, you know, it, it's, it seemed like early December, we started hearing more and more about uh, games being suspended in the OHL. And uh, in the WHL, things were fine. Not anymore, and it's uh, definitely the case here. Teams being uh, uh, suspending operations and things like that. And it seems like it's continuing in the OHL as well, although the, the league came out and had a big statement this week. But uh, maybe just what's, what's the last month been like in the OHL? Well, it's been uncertainty, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. It started, I believe, Sudbury was the first team that had uh, about 11 positives, and then uh, a few other teams had uh, a run of positives. But what also happened in some cases, you had situations where 
just the way the protocols were and the Ontario Provincial Protocols, which of course are then followed uh, tightly by the OHL, had situations where teams maybe instead of just losing one player with one positive, they end up losing five players because of that one positive because of close contact protocols and close mm. contact rules. So, for example, if you and I normally drove to the games together and you tested positive, I'm immediately a close contact, so I have to potentially isolate, get tested, etc. And if your positive came in on game day morning, well, now I'm out too. And they ran into situations like that. Or, of course, if someone in the Billet family tested positive, they were now a close contact. And the way the rules were, you were in isolation for either a number of days or till a negative test and things like that. So um, the Ontario government, uh, right before New Year, changed the rules for close contacts not in a house. So a teammate, something else like that, that you just monitored for symptoms. So that changed the protocols where maybe one positive test didn't immediately make five players ineligible, for example. So that was a big change. The other change, of course, was that instead of being isolated for 10 days after testing positive, the isolation time in Ontario went down to five days. So that made things more manageable for the OHL teams as well. So between about the 17th, 15th of December and into the new year, Obviously, there were more games. I think there were more games postponed than actually played. But that was a big announcement when the Ontario government did decide to uh, change those protocols. And talking to people, uh, you know, close to the teams, close to the league, they said that made a huge difference because in some cases, it wasn't necessarily positive tests that were making players ineligible. It was they would enter protocols. And to give you one more example on this, I know it's a long answer, but there's a lot going on here, yeah. or has been. Um, you okay? So under the rules, you had to isolate for ten days. So you tested positive, you isolated for 10 days. On day 11 or day 12, for example, you are now a close contact of someone who tested positive. <laughs> you are back in protocols again. Man. Even though you are you were positive, you've done your 10 days, because on day 11, day 12, you were deemed a close contact of a positive, you're back in protocols, you had to get tested again, all those things. So that, that's why, um, in some cases, teams were just out of players. And so that's, you know, so it's a big difference. But now with the Ontario government making more changes and their step two protocols slash lockdown, sometimes people call it, that changed some of the rules as well. So no fans now for games in the OHL, at least for the next at least three weeks, and we'll see how that goes. And uh, a few new protocols and potential some issues about going across the border for the Ontario teams, at least as you and I sit here and talk. So, uh, no, nothing going on here in Ontario at all. <laughs> yeah, nothing at all. Uh, Terry, I, I know we take us back to the spring of 2020 when everything shut down, and there was, you know, we didn't have vaccines back then and things like that. And this year, uh, the OHL didn't play at all last season. Most leagues tried to get off the ground and played to somewhat uh, last year. A lot of clubs would bubble it up, and, and um, we saw that in the WHL and in the Q as well. This year, I mean, the OHL has just come out and said, we're we're definitely going to play the rest of the season. There'll be a segment of the population that's that looks at all the stoppages and, and all the, the postponements and, and questions why, why bother continuing and why not maybe just take a month off or something like that. Uh, has that been talked about at all? I mean, clearly the OHL is, if they considered it, they're not doing it. They're going to move forward. But is that uh, something that you're hearing about at all? I'm sure it's been discussed. I think at this point, and even going back for the last 18 months, you name it, somebody's brought it up to as a point of discussion. I think if there was going to be a pause, 
that change in the protocols in Ontario was the game changer, knowing, okay, back down to five days of isolation, the close contacts, et cetera. We won't, uh, you know, I don't have to repeat that long-winded answer, but I think that was the big change. And I think they also realized they owed it to the players to do everything possible, especially when those players in the OHL did look around last year and saw some of their peers in Quebec or in the Western League get some games in, or, of course, saw some of their peers who were playing south of the border get into games last year as well. And I think, well, health and safety comes first. You still have to look at that as well and you know, owe it to the players to do as much as possible. And I think we're seeing the fact that because the players are vaccinated and they absolutely have to be vaccinated to play in the Ontario Hockey League, while in most cases testing positive, either no symptoms or very mild symptoms uh, from that standpoint. And, of course, not only the players, anyone associated with the OHL team, whether it's staff, billets, you name it, they have to be vaccinated as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where they realize that from a health and safety standpoint, they weren't seeing the illnesses despite these positives and now with this uh, change in protocols I think looking at it say you know we're going to move forward this means no fans for at least the next three weeks and yeah the announcement of continue committed to continuing the season I thought when it first came up was a little vague because they were still now dealing with the Ontario government for some new protocols and the government now was in a situation of having to give the green light for the OHL to play I think it was just the OHL putting out a statement saying hey folks we know you're waiting to hear from us we're prepared to go forward dot, dot, dot. And the dot, dot, dot was we're waiting for the green light from the government, but they don't want to, they have a good working relationship with the Ontario government. They don't want to sit there and and point any fingers at them. Yeah, I gotcha. Terry Doyle is my guest broadcaster out of the Ontario Hockey League. I'm seeing even just today uh, more releases from the OHL talking about postponements and uh, rescheduled games. Just looking at the standings out of curiosity, Ottawa's played 32 games. Niagara's only played 24. So, I mean, there's a pretty good uh, disparage between uh, some of the the teams in in, in terms of games played. And, uh, I mean, some clubs are around 25 and 26, uh, but there are others who are over 30. Uh, these games, when they get rescheduled, eventually, do, do you for, foresee maybe the regular season gets pushed back and pushed later and later in the in the playoffs maybe as well? Could this change the way we see the the regular season and the playoffs uh, uh, playing out? I think the plan is certainly to try and squeeze the games in uh, as soon as possible, and that's why in some cases with a few of the games that have been postponed even in the last uh, you know, few hours when you and I are talking here, they've tried to move some games around. Mm. For example, we saw even going back to New Year's Eve, uh, Ottawa lost their opponent. North Bay lost their opponent, so they said, you know what, how about you two just play? And they basically found a game in March and said, hey, this game that was scheduled for March 9th, I think it was, we're going to move this to December 31st, knock it off the schedule, you guys are available. North Bay, you're already planning to have a home game anyway, so... And same situation is happening right now. There's a game uh, coming up where Kitchener was supposed to be in Erie, but there are some cross-border issues right now of the Ontario teams going to the U.S. with COVID protocols, so instead... Erie is coming to Kitchener. They're going to flip a game, basically, and uh, do it from that standpoint. And uh, there was another doubleheader with Windsor and the Sioux, for example, and they've just moved one of the games around. So I think in the grand scheme of things, it's a situation where they're looking for spots that, rather than just postponing, if there is a way to get a game in somewhere else or move a game, because then that slot that they opened up in March is now open to fill a game somewhere else. So I think they know they can't build up too many games the back end of the season was already jammed anyway, yeah. but I think there's, you know, we're seeing more Tuesday games being booked, which the OHL doesn't normally play. Uh, I think it was Kingston just added a uh, Valentine's Day Monday game, for example. That would never happen, but I think we're going to see that more and more. 
does I don't think they can necessarily push back on the calendar because of the Memorial Cup and back timing from there. It is a case where do they run into a point where they have to shave the season from 68 to 64? Do they have to shave the first round of the playoffs to a best of five? All those things are, I'm sure, are on the table. But to be, you know, cross that bridge when they get to it, I think right now it's still trying to get 68 games in. I had a conversation earlier today with a uh, WHL uh, beat writer, and we were talking about how the COVID situation might impact the uh, WHL trade deadline. And, you know, if there's a level of uncertainty, whether, man, do we see a third year without playoffs in the WHL? There's, we're wondering if there would be a lack of trades because of that. Teams not wanting to, to commit a ton of draft picks for a playoff that might not even happen. The OHL looks like that's not a concern because there's been, what, seven or eight and maybe nine trades just since New Year's. Uh, and some pretty big names happening, uh, uh, moving already. Um, what's your take on what you've seen when it comes to the trades? It felt like when the OHL put that announcement out to say that, yes, we're going to be continuing on and we're going to be playing, that's when the GM said, all right, let's go. There yeah. we go. Let's make our moves. And it just had that feeling to it that with some uncertainty, it slowed down. And then this time of year now, the, the phone calls are going, of course. And we're seeing some of the teams that just know, hey, no matter what happens this year, maybe we have a couple strong 19-year-olds that will not be back next year. So we have to go for it. You know, Windsor picking up Andrew Parrott from Owen Sound would be an example of that, where Windsor has Will Cooley, who was part of Team Canada at the uh, abbreviated World Juniors, Wyatt Johnston, a high pick of the Dallas Stars as well. So Windsor has some players that to look at it from that standpoint. As you and I talk, London hasn't done uh, a whole lot, but they're usually going to be in the mix at some point. Hamilton's made a couple moves. Oshawa's made a couple moves. And, of course, a couple teams like Barry, for example, have gone the other direction and decided to uh, make a couple moves for the future in North Bay. They've brought in some players. So, yeah, I think we're seeing that now they know the season's going to continue on. Now we're into those buyers and sellers situations and some of the teams just deciding where they stand and either, you know, Barry's record isn't too bad right now, but I think they know that uh, they maybe need to look towards the future where too many teams ahead of them in the Eastern Conference and the cupboard maybe not great for the next couple of years without making some moves. So we're back to a somewhat normal OHL trade deadline, I would think, with teams deciding where to line themselves up. Yeah, uh, while Barry trading Oscar Olison and Nick Porco, that, I think I was a little surprised to see both of those players uh, being moved, but uh, when you look at the standings, Barry's fifth in the conference, and kind of uh, I understand what you're saying. There's some teams ahead of them. Maybe they think this isn't their year. Flint Firebird's getting Ethan Keppen back. Uh, maybe a bit of a surprise, certainly was a surprise for me. Was that something that was expected in OHL circles? No, it was not expected to the point the Firebirds had given away his number. His number 92 had been given away, which Flint has done that in the past a couple times where a player that we weren't sure whether he was going to be coming back to the OHL, they already gave the number away, and Keppen was able to, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if an agreement was worked out, or they told the player who got his number, no, okay, never mind, Ethan's coming back, you're going to have to change numbers. But uh, no, so it was definitely a surprise, and uh, room was made there where Marcus Gretz uh, signed with a German team, which you don't normally see mid-season Mm -hmm. uh, player moving on to a pro league team in Europe, but uh, that was done, and probably just to the overage uh, squeezing of numbers coming up at the deadline as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely a surprise with Ethan Kepping coming back, and uh, he came back to practice on Monday, and they announced it on Wednesday that he was uh, officially re-signed. So, a big boost for them, who is looking for something other than Brandon Othman, because Brandon Othman had just been lighting it up, and it felt like the Firebirds were him and everybody else, hmm. and to get him some support, especially down the stretch and into the playoffs. As we know, most teams that are a one-man team, at some point someone finds a way to minimize that player. 
but having Kep in there is going to be a big help for the Firebirds. Yeah, no question about that. You mentioned the uh, London Knights haven't been active in the trade market uh, as of yet. I know the day that the World Junior uh, Championship was cancelled, they put out the press release that Logan Mayu is back uh, into the Ontario Hockey League. Kind of snuck that in during a, a, a busy news cycle. But uh, I don't know, have the, have the Knights played yet? Has he uh, actually played a game for the Knights yet this season? And what kind of buzz has there been about uh, him uh, being allowed to play in the OHL this year? Well, I think, first of all, as you and I have spoken, they have not played as of yet. And, okay. uh, you know, that's a story that I think people are firmly entrenched. Whichever side of the fence they're on, they're not moving from. Whether there are people who think Logan Mayu should never play a game of hockey for the next 100 years, and there are people who think that he's served his time, gone through the process, as has been, you know, through his own self-work, and then obviously what has been directed to him from the Ontario Hockey League, Whatever side people are on, they're on. And I don't think they're moving from that side one way or the other. You know, I can tell you that release, the timing of that release was completely coincidental where that's not a, that's a major release that you have planned. You don't just uh, somehow put it together in 10 minutes okay. uh, after the first rumors come out. I know that was definitely, uh, you know, planned well in advance. And it was just one of those, like, it was like send was sent. Our send was hit on the release, and Boom World Juniors kind of hit at the same time. But it was definitely a planned situation. I'm sure an announcement like that probably has to go through legal channels as well when dealing with something like this. It's not just a, a hockey announcement per se. But, yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see the reception. I know he certainly, uh, from people I've spoken to, he's gone through everything that has been asked of him by the professionals, going back to, of course, you know, going through the Swedish judicial system, which I know people question what the Swedish judicial system, you know, was, which of course was paying a fine to the victim uh, from that standpoint. I also, you know, people say, well, what would have happened if it was in Canada? Well, if it was in Canada, we wouldn't be talking about this because it was a, someone, he was under 18 when it happened. But mm-hmm. so I think that opens up a whole different thing. So I think in the grand scheme of things, it'll be interesting. Sure, there'll probably be the odd chirp from some people up in the crowd. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know what, the story is sort of what it is right now. And I say, I'm sort of in that mode that no matter what side people think of it, they're not moving off of it. So like a lot of topics these days, people could sit and argue back and forth and nobody's going to move. On the ice, Terry, uh, there are some teams clearly at the top of their uh, respective conference standings. Are there, you know, four or five teams that are in win-now mode contenders this year that we should be watching for? Well, I think North Bay certainly wants to make some noise over in the Eastern Conference, especially after some very quiet years. This is a team that went to the league final their first year after moving from Brampton, which is probably the worst thing for them because you kind of get that uh, honeymoon period in the first year or two. Instead, the expectations were so high, and then they uh, dropped off. So I think they certainly want to uh, make a big move. Mississauga has looked great this season. And then uh, Kingston has this guy, where's 51? Um, Shane Wright, we may have all heard of him. So you know they, of course, want to... uh, do something there and then Hamilton uh, could be a very interesting interesting team to watch for as well over in the east and you know what all season the Sioux Greyhounds have been able to score they've been able to score it's just can they keep the puck out of their own net is going to be a question Guelph has looked good and I think surprisingly good this season 
And then, indeed, you know, London, as we talk, is technically third in the conference, but, you know, by winning percentage, they would be number one, which we kind of have to look at that right now with the disparity of games. And London, just a very deep team. They can throw guys on their third and fourth line at teams and have that luxury to roll four lines through a good chunk of the game. And I think that's going to be huge with so many games crunched into a short period of time. With this schedule, you're not wearing out your big guns and your top six forwards. Dale Hunter some nights will roll his third and fourth line a lot and then go on a power play, and then the big guns come out, and they've been rested for a little while. And I actually spoke to Luke Evangelista earlier today, and he said, yeah, it's great that we have our four lines that can all contribute. And then Brett Brochu, of course, who is part of Team Canada at the World Juniors, as a guy in net that they have so much confidence in, and their defense course pretty solid as well. So I think that's a team that uh, is going to make a lot of noise down the stretch, as they usually do around the Ontario Hockey League. Lastly, when I'm looking at the uh, the scoring race in the OHL, there's some some recognizable names, but not necessarily some of the names that I think most people expected to be uh, leading the way this year. Brandon Cohen, Matt v. Petrov uh, from North Bay, and yes, the battalion have played more games than more, most teams in the league, but it's Lucas Edmonds in Kingston and not Shane Wright who's leading that team in scoring. I know he's a 20-year-old and uh, still draft eligible this year, but um, there are some some maybe not necessarily household names across the country who are really getting it done this year in the OHL. Well, absolutely. Look at Lucas Edmonds. There's a guy who, drafted by Kingston, didn't make the team the first year, goes and plays pro in Sweden, Mm -hmm. uh, well, junior, and then pro in Sweden, and then comes back. And, uh, you know, you look at James Hardy of Mississauga, another guy who's had a little bit of a taste of pro camp, but other than that, still looking for a contract. And I think that's going to be the very interesting situation. And, you know, the scouts are normally busy with the 17-year-olds coming into the NHL draft, but uh, now the way things are with the year off and different situations happening, keeping an eye on players, whether it is for late draft picks, as in players that are coming into the draft maybe a year or two later than normal, or, of course, free agent signings. And I think that's where uh, so many players like that, you know, Ty Karche leading the way out of the Sioux. We talked about the fact that Greyhounds have put up big numbers all season. But, yeah, you get into a Tucker Robertson in Peterborough, a Jordan Frasca in Kingston as well, joining Wright and Edmonds. And, you know, so many guys that you're right are not really household names unless you really follow junior hockey very tightly or the hockey world as a whole. People know the name Sasha Pasterjov in terms of being a prospect of Anaheim coming from the U.S. program, Mm -hmm. but that's if you really sort of follow it. The average OHL fan probably didn't know the name that much until he came into the league and now one of the top 10 scorers and really uh, was on fire to start the year as well. So I think looking around the OHL, it's certainly a lot of different names and it's players that uh, I think are going to be rewarded for the way they've been able to score or maybe they weren't uh, on track for an NHL contract, maybe not initially a high pick, and now getting that opportunity. Terry, I kept you for a long time, but this was great. Uh, Thanks for catching up again and bringing us up to speed on everything OHL-related. Thanks for doing this. Hey, anytime. There is Terry Doyle, who is the television voice of the Sarnia Sting, giving us the latest uh, news and opinions around the Ontario Hockey League. And uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode there was supposed to be a 2022 draft spotlight segment, but it fell through uh, late in the week. It looks like that's going to happen early next week. So uh, you patrons out there who have early access uh, are going to get to enjoy that conversation. Should happen on Monday or Tuesday. So fingers crossed that it actually comes to fruition uh, this week or next week, rather. Speaking of patrons, uh, thank you to everyone who has signed up to be a patron. That's at patreon.com slash show. Early access, just one of the perks that you can get 
That's only a couple of bucks a month or 10% less than that if you sign up on an annual basis. It's all done securely through uh, PayPal and through Patreon itself. Uh, I don't see any credit card information or anything like that, so no worries there. like to always put out who the upcoming guests are on each episode so that uh, patrons can submit questions for those guests, get a shout-out here on the show when those questions are asked. So if that sounds like something that would interest you, I encourage you to go to patreon.com slash show. So next week, I hope to have at least one 2022 Draft Spotlight segment, maybe more than that, and there's some other irons in the fire that I don't want to jinx, because when I do, it always seems to come back and bite me. So I'm not going to mention who those other guests are that I'm pursuing, but uh, let's just hope we've got actual hockey games to talk about. Looking around the WHL, the OHL, uh, the Q, so many uh, teams and uh, games being uh, suspended or postponed. I mean, the Q is not even playing right now. I just saw that the Maritime Hockey League is suspending operations until February, so let's just hope next week we have some positive things that we can talk about. Uh, Between now and then, if you have a chance, get out and watch some junior college hockey so that we can talk about it next week. Right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. My name's Keith Flaming. See ya. See ya.